If there was ever a time in your life when you set out to read the Bible from cover to cover and you opened up the book of Genesis and started reading, my bet is that you started to flounder as soon as you hit the book of Leviticus. We heard a little bit of Leviticus in our first lesson just now this morning. It's, a, it's the third book in the Bible, the third book of Hebrew scripture. So after you make it through the ancient creation myths of Genesis, these dramatic stories of the patriarchs and matriarchs, plagues, a triumphant march through the Red Sea in Exodus, you finally get to Leviticus. And there the going gets really rough. It's like, it's as if you were two books into the Harry Potter series and you turned the page to book three and you found a copy of US patent code stitched in there for good measure, you would never make it to the prisoner of Azkaban. You just wouldn't, wouldn't get there. Leviticus is a really hard book to love. There are famously 613 commandments contained in its pages, everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. In Leviticus, right after we read, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we read, don't let your animals breed with a different species. Don't sow two kinds of seeds in your field. And don't wear clothes made up of two different kinds of fabric. No cotton poly blend in ancient Israel. That is forbidden in the same breath as judge the poor with justice. That's how Leviticus works. Every commandment is just as important as every other commandment. Leviticus makes no distinctions between justice and seed planting, between righteousness and fiber arts, right? Everything matters to God because everything that the people of Israel do, say, write, or think contributes to their particula particu particu particularity. We might even say their peculiarity as a people. That's the whole point of the book. In Leviticus, God says to the people, you shall be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in this context, that word holy does not necessarily mean more pious, more spiritual, blessed, favored. A better translation of that Hebrew word that we translate as holy in English without all of the, the baggage that we associate with the English word holy might just be to translate it as separate, right? You shall be separate. You shall be different. Maybe even you shall be weird. I mean, you could almost take the whole Bible and every time you see the English word holy, cross it out and write in weird. That's, that's the hymn that the angels sing around God's throne, right? The same hymn that we sing every Sunday morning in Eucharist. We're going to sing it in just a few minutes. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. A more literal translation of that hymn would be something like, Weird, 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 the Lord our God is full of the most glorious kind of weirdness there is. God is weird, and God wants you to be weird too. Jesus maintains in Matthew's gospel that growing and, and maturing in holy weirdness is actually the whole point of sacred scripture. You've seen the bumper stickers, right? The, the slogan that we supposedly here in Portland stole from Austin, Texas, right? Keep Portland weird. That's kind of what Jesus thinks Torah is for, except that instead of keeping Portland weird, he's thinking about the people of Israel, right? The people of God, 613 commandments that his tradition, Jesus's tradition has handed him each of them from the most granular to the most cosmically universal designed to create the weirdest people imaginable on earth and to keep them that way. That's what God wants. Keep Israel weird. 
because somehow, then and now, God sees this social drift towards conformity and groupthink. Nowhere is this more dangerous than in a, a highly organized society just beginning to you know, be formed out of yeoman farmers and herders, hunter-gatherer clan society, right? In the book of Leviticus, that older society is beginning to give way to this urban, religiously-oriented society. So there's this ancient question that the book of Leviticus is beginning to ask, how shall human beings live together? What's the best way for us to coexist in civil society? What rules and customs and legislations and commandments do we need in order to keep the peace? That actually, that tends to be our question, right? Because we're interested in keeping the peace. So it's the question with which we approach an ancient text like Leviticus. What can this text tell me about how a well-ordered society can be run? And especially in an election year, right, it's tempting to turn to a document like Leviticus for our marching orders when it comes to questions of, like, public policy and political science. And certainly, you know, there's stuff in Leviticus, right, mandates like, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. That sounds like it could apply directly to the contemporary world of, say, Twitter. But maintaining the peace is not actually the question Leviticus is interested in asking or solving. Leviticus is interested in creating a society of people who are weird, people who are, are different, distinct from every other people around them, weird as God is weird, right? Socially awkward as God is socially awkward, people who march to a different beat and dance to a different tune, and more importantly, have a different aim in mind, a different goal than just maintaining the peace. Leviticus actually does not care all that much about maintaining the peace. It is a religious and legal tradition that's interested in creating the weirdest world imaginable, a world, a weirdness, in which the poor are not treated with condescension and with romantic notions of noble suffering, but instead with what the text calls tzaddik. Sometimes we translate that as righteousness, sometimes as justice, but whether it's righteousness or justice, it's the same word in Hebrew, right? Righteousness and justice is that, that magic quality, that weirdness that God is looking for from you and me, as far as Leviticus is concerned, anyway. Not fairness, right? Leviticus doesn't care about fairness. Leviticus doesn't care about tolerance or passive-aggressive conflict avoidance. God is not interested in a world where everybody has a seat at the table because that fits some contemporary understanding of political correctness. God is interested in a world in which everybody, from the wealthy to the destitute, is treated with dignity. And further than that, God suggests that in order for that kind of world to actually happen, things are going to have to get a little funky. So in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, to select just one commandment from the whole collection of 613 and identify that one as the greatest. That's not a new idea, right? The Jewish teacher Hillel had been asked a, a hundred years before Jesus to do the same thing, and he answered with the same, basically the same commandment as Jesus does. Hillel says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the whole Torah. Everything else is commentary. We think that it might actually be from Hillel and from his followers that Jesus gets the idea that this one verse in Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18, is the interpretive principle, if you like, by which the entirety of the rest of the Torah stands, right? When Jesus is asked which commandment in the law is the greatest, 
it's not actually another way of saying what commandments can we ignore or throw out, right? When the lawyer asks Jesus which commandment is the greatest, the lawyer means which of these 613 commandments interprets all the other ones, right? That's the question that Jesus is answering. Every single commandment, right, from prohibitions against slander to seed planting and animal breeding, all of it stems from this central principle, Jesus says, about love of God and love of neighbor. In that sense, as far as Jesus is concerned, not sewing two different kinds of cloth together is just as much potentially an act of justice as rendering a fair verdict in a trial is. Everything, from the smallest thing we do to the, the greatest deed we accomplish, everything matters to God. Everything we do has the potential to orient us towards the weirdness of God's sense of justice. And God's sense of justice is a weird one. It makes very little sense in 21st century economic terms. It runs pretty counter to the principles of late-stage capitalism. I presume that's why the God of Hebrew and Christian scripture over and over and over again urges God's people to, to pay close and primary attention to the voices of the ones that we jejunely refer to as the poor, right? That's a term that can certainly be applied to those of lesser economic status. It can also be applied to anyone who lacks the privileges and powers that this society grants somebody like me by virtue of skin color or economic status or gender performance or my job or my religion. God is not interested in massaging my, my liberal guilt complex, but God is interested in training my ears and my eyes towards the injustice that is rampant all around me. God is interested in giving me a deeper way of paying attention to other people and then interested in making sure that my paying attention renders me weird, right? Maybe different from other people around me. That's the whole human project as far as God, the God of Israel is concerned. God, God says, how, how can I wake my people up? How can I get their attention? How can I make them so weird that there is no going back? to the way they used to be. God wants me to be out of step with everybody around me. That's the, that's the uncomfortable news that scripture like practically pummels into me at every turn. So if, like, if my social media timeline is parroting back at me a bunch of stuff with which I already agree, a bunch of people who think just like I do, I'm doing it wrong. Right? God is interested in diversity, to use a term that has some contemporary currency, but not because diversity is PC. God's interested in diversity because diversity is hard. And true diversity makes you really weird. It is not the natural state of things, right? The natural state of things is to hang out with people who get me, people who, who like me and think like I do and help me buttress up my own insecurities in this fortress of love and acceptance. It's beautifully normal to seek a world of comfort and ease and social approval. And it is so not the project of Jesus Christ. I used to think that love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself was like Christianity 101, right? That it was like the easiest part of Christianity. I've even, I've even preached it that way, right? Leave all of the arcane, complicated stuff behind. Focus on the basics, right? This is, this is the basics. 
And maybe sometimes that is an appropriate way to use the double commandment that Jesus pulls out here. Look how easy Christianity is, right? Do, do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's the basis of every world religion. It's a golden rule. If we would just focus on that and not on all the stuff that divides us, all the stuff that people fight wars over, or burn one another at the stake over, right? Stuff like the virgin birth and the real presence of the Eucharist and papal supremacy and biblical inerrancy, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, right? If we, if we could just leave behind all of the weird arcane details, the doctrine and the dogma and the liturgies, and focus on the ethical teachings, right? I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people, right? If I could just accept Jesus as a great ethical teacher and forget all the Son of God stuff, I could probably become a Christian. Well, fine. There is, I mean, I don't mean to say that there is some, there is some great ethical teaching in this tradition. It's like a whole lot better than some of the ethics that I occasionally hear preached from the pulpits of power in Washington, D.C., but the more I live into the weirdness of this tradition, the more I study these texts and live with these saints, the more I sing these weird old hymns with inaccessible language and strange melodies, the more I begin to renounce the idea that religion is supposed to somehow be immediately relevant to my imminent anxiety. And I push a little bit further into the parts of church that feel weird and uncomfortable and out of step with the world I live in, that's when I begin to realize that loving God with my whole heart and loving my neighbor as myself, that's not the easiest part of Christianity. That's the hardest part. I mean, it's a lot easier to like, avoid sewing two pieces of cloth together. Right? If you want to get right down to it, it's not like, it's not like Jesus you know, picked out the easiest rule in the Torah and then encouraged his followers to like, throw all the rest of the stuff out. Right? Jesus picks the hardest part of the whole tradition, the most difficult, the most out of step of all of the 613 commandments, and says, here, if you can do this well, everything else will fall into place. And it's like we, we look at that breathtaking challenge that he offers us, and we say in our various world ways, no thank you. I, I actually would prefer to stay over here in my little local gossip sandbox and continue to police other people's fabric choices, right? Policing fabric choices is a lot easier than loving my neighbor. It's easy to keep your goats and your sheep separate. It's easy to avoid planting corn and wheat in the same hole. It turns out it's really hard to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you try it, it makes you pretty weird. So what does it look like in these divided and destructive days to build a community oriented towards that kind of holy weirdness, oriented towards diversity and justice, not because it's popular to do so among the progressive set, but because we're deeply convinced and convicted that mutual accountability requires people who are different from me holding me accountable. And that really until I start getting into some pretty heated disagreements with people whom I have come to love as my kin, I am dodging the deeper work of kingdom building. I mean, if we wanna build a more diverse community, which is what we've said we wanna do at Trinity Cathedral, I think it's gonna mean that we take a step away from some of these middle-class values of niceness and politeness and getting along with everybody that I was taught, maybe you were too, 
And I'm not sure I'm ready for that, honestly. God's divine weirdness is a threat to me, right? It, it's, it's a lot easier to give lip service to that idea while I continue to step around homeless people and avoid the harder work that engaging this project will actually require of me. But engaging the weirdness project, I think, it's at least part of what it means to begin to love God with everything I've got, everything I am, while I work at really understanding what it means and then practicing what it means to love my neighbor as myself. And following those two little commandments might just make me weird enough to become holy.